it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Today, we are excited because we have a special guest. We have Richard Howe, who is the founder of Stock Spinoff Investing Newsletter and head of research at Better Way. And he's here to talk about spinoff investing, which is something we have not discussed much. And I am not as familiar with this as I should be. And so Richard is here to educate both you and I. And so Richard or Rich, uh, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate having you. And I guess maybe could we start a little bit with maybe how you got started in spinoff investing and maybe a touch on your background, how you got here today. Of course. Yeah. Well, first of all, thanks so much, guys, for having me on the podcast. It's always fun to talk spinoffs. That's what I do all the time. So I was looking forward to this. So um, yeah, in terms of my background, so I grew up in the Boston area and my parents were both in the investment business. My dad was a large cap value portfolio manager. My mom was an analyst for, for PIMCO, bond analyst for PIMCO. And so I had that as, as a little bit of a backdrop. For some reason, I was always interested in investing pretty close with my dad. And so that was something that we could talk about a lot throughout the years, just investing, and he could teach me all that he knew. So I knew pretty early that I wanted to go into investing. You know, even when I was in high school and college, you know, I joined the investment club in high school and college and did that and tried to read as much as I could and, and get smart. And I started my career in in Boston at a firm called Eaton Vance, who has since been acquired by Morgan Stanley and their equity research group. So we covered mainly large cap stocks. It was an awesome place to start my career, learned a lot, you know, did the CFA program, which was really helpful and got to cover a, a wide variety of sectors and, and really enjoyed that. It, we were very focused on large cap stocks. So biggest of the big. And so I found that interesting, but I also, you know, noticed it's pretty hard. It's pretty hard to consistently 
beat the market when you're competing against a lot of, you know, hundreds of thousands of very smart, you know, people and, and PhDs and MBAs. And so I found the micro cap world and the small cap world and the special situation world a little bit more interesting. I read Joel Greenblatt's You Can Be a Stock Market Genius, which, you know, many people have. And if you haven't read it, I definitely recommend checking out that book. But it was kind of one of those moments when a light bulb went off and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so cool. So from that point on, I think I read in probably 2007 or 2008, I was very excited about about learning about spinoffs just because it seemed to be an inefficient marketplace and an area where somebody like me who wasn't you know, a PhD or an MBA could just do some good bottom-up research and find some good opportunities. And the odds, it appeared, would be kind of stacked in my favor. And so that's how I got really interested in special situations and investing in spinoffs. That's really cool. How would you describe a spinoff to somebody who is just barely interested in the stock market and has no idea what you mean when you say spinoffs? Yeah. So great question. Yeah. So a spinoff is basically when a publicly traded company breaks up into two or more publicly traded companies. So a big company that probably many people have heard of is General Electric. And so they are a big industrial conglomerate. They have a power division, a healthcare division, and a industrials division, or let's see, they have healthcare, they have a power generation, and then aerospace. So those are the three divisions. And the whole idea generally with conglomerates is they traded a discount to their sum of the parts. And so the thesis is that if you separate a conglomerate into pure play companies, Wall Street and other investors are going to value the stock higher on an individual basis than it would when it's all lumped together. So a spinoff is essentially when a company decides to either spin off a smaller division or break up the entire company into three or more divisions. But the whole thought process around it is that you're going to increase the value. It's going to be a lot easier to understand for investors and all your individual parts, your individual divisions will be valued as pure plays. And so that's kind of a brief overview of exactly what a spinoff is. There are lots of different types of spinoffs, but that's kind of a general description of what a spinoff is. It's a great description. And mm-hmm. I have so many questions. So I'm going to really try not to bombard you. <laughs> that would be bring no value to anybody. But you mentioned getting first interested in this in 2008. So you've had observation experience and you've seen it in real time, how different market cycles can really bring a lot of different aspects into the finance world. So in the spin-off world, are there certain cycles that are better for spin-offs? And are there certain market environments where you will see more spin-offs than not? Yeah. So generally in an environment like last year, 2021, when the market is at an all-time high and valuations are at the high end of what they typically are. Spinoffs are a good way to like squeeze that last juice out of a valuation. So if you're trading at a you know 25 PE price to earnings multiple, but you think on a sum of the parts basis, you can you know one division should be trading at 30 or 40 times earnings, and you can increase your value of your company that way. I'd say it's pretty pro cyclical, meaning that more spinoffs get announced when market conditions are good, like during. 
the pandemic, there was like a period where very few spinoffs were announced because everybody was just battening down the hatches, just trying to make sure that their businesses could survive through the pandemic. And then spinoff announcements really started to ramp up towards the end of 2020 into 2021 into, into the bull market. I'd say the best time to invest in spinoffs is times like this, when the market's in a little bit of a dislocation, spinoffs that were announced that made a lot of sense last year or six or 12 months make even more sense now because valuations have come down a lot. And then there's just a lot of confusion in the market and everybody's just trying to understand their portfolio. Everybody's trying to weed out the winners from the losers and there are not as many eyes looking at spinoffs and other special situations. So I'd say more tend to get announced in bullish times, but the best time to invest is a time like this when the market's in a little bit of a dislocation and a little bit of the bear market, and you can find some pretty interesting setups. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. Let's be honest here. Your sex life is important. It helps us feel more confident and boosts our happiness. But sometimes we struggle to perform. Our life gets in the way. This is where hymns can help. With their convenient and discreet online platform, you can get help for your erectile dysfunction from the comfort and privacy of your own home. No more waiting rooms. No more awkward conversations. Just a simple, direct path to treatment that works around your life, not interrupts it. Invest in your health today. Hims is changing men's health care by providing access to affordable sexual health treatments from the comfort of your couch. Hims provides access to doctor-trusted ED treatment options such as chewable hard mints, brand-name treatments like Viagra, or generic alternatives for up to 95% cheaper. The process is simple and 100% online. No uncomfortable doctor visits. Answer a series of questions on their site, and a medical provider will determine the right treatment option. If prescribed, your medication ships to you free. No insurance is needed. 
If ED is getting you down, it's time you join the hundreds of thousands of trusted HIMSS subscribers and get treated. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash investing. That's H-I-M-S dot com slash investing for your personalized ED treatment options. Hymns.com slash investing. Hard mints are chewable compounded products which are not approved by or verified for safety and effectiveness by the FDA. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See website for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. That's interesting. It makes it very timely for us today. Yeah. So when you say invest in spinoffs, What's the timing behind that? What are the major events that are tied with the spinoff? And what do you mean for the buy and the sell when you say invest in spinoffs? Yeah, great question. And there are so many different ways that you can approach it. So typically, a company will announce that it is breaking up or, or going to be spinning off a division. And then, and usually the stock will pop anywhere from, you know, five or 10% or 20%. And then usually the stock price will kind of fade back down. So I don't typically get involved when a company announces a spinoff. I'll put it on my spinoff calendar, which I keep on my website. I'll start a notes section on my website where I just kind of track, hey, this spinoff was announced. Here's the basic sum of the parts thesis. It looks like this at a high level, this transaction is interesting or isn't interesting. And I'll start to track it from that point on. But usually I'm not going to be investing until closer to the actual spinoff event or until after the spinoff actually takes place. But, you know, typically a spinoff is announced. It usually takes six months to, you know, two years or three years for the spinoff transaction to actually take place. So I call it spinoff purgatory. A lot of times these big (laughs) industrial companies will say, hey, we're breaking up. Like, I don't know when GE first announced that it was breaking up but I think it was like two or three years ago. And it's like, hey, everybody gets excited. And then we have a pandemic and then we have a bull market, then we have a bear market. And so there's no real rush usually to get involved unless the timing is gonna happen incredibly quickly. And then I've also found, so so typically when you're investing in spinoffs, you're trying to take advantage of a, a sum of the parts thesis. Sum of the parts means that the parts of the company, if they were valued independently, they would result in more, a bigger market cap than the company's currently trading at, you know, pre-breakup. I found through hard experience that typically some of the parts, DCs, don't really play out until the catalyst actually takes place or until very shortly before the catalyst takes place. I'll give you an example. So a company called IEC, I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but it's a holding company. It's run, it was started by, or taken over really by Barry Diller and Joey Levine is the CEO. And they have a great track record of buying, incubating businesses, and then ultimately spinning them off. So to a spinoff investor, it's a company that I follow very closely. Some examples of companies that they've incubated and spun off are Match.com, I think they founded Tinder and or acquired Tinder and then eventually rolled it in, into Match. Uh, TripAdvisor was another company that they incubated and then ultimately sold, uh, spun off. Vimeo is the latest example of a company that they've spun off. Angie is a company that they're incubating. And the reason why I talk about IEC is because it's very easy to do the sum of the parts math for IEC because they have a lot of different holdings that are publicly traded. And that are very easy to value. You can add up all the equity stakes that they own, plus the cash, subtract the debt and say, hey, is it trading at a, is the stock price at a discount or a premium to the sum of the parts valuation? 
And it's very easy to get sucked into and want to buy a company like IC, which I actually think looks pretty attractive, but it usually pays to wait until a catalyst is about to unfold and or a catalyst is about to play out. I'll give you an example. So in 2020, IC prior to the pandemic had announced that they're going to be spinning off their stake in match.com. So the dating website. And at the time, it looked like a really compelling situation because the time IAC owned a stake in Match, they also owned a stake in Angie Home Services. And if you bought and then subtracted their ownership stake in Angie Home Services and, or if you bought IAC and subtracted IAC's stake in Match and their stake in Angie, the remaining company was valued at like negative 1.2 or $1.7 billion. <laughs> so like, it was just like an anomaly in the market. And that, that was the valuation when the transaction, when the spinoff transaction was announced. But then you could wait till the week before the spinoff and still buy into IAC and then basically get 80% of your value back through that match spinoff. And then your remaining, your remaining stake, which the market was valuing at negative you know, $1.7 billion, had a lot of value, including Vimeo, which was subsequently spun off, and Angie Home Services, which hasn't done as well. But typically, there's a lot of different ways that you can you know, play spinoff transactions. The way that I played the IAC transaction was I bought IAC prior to the spinoff of Match. So I waited and I bought in prior to the actual spinoff transaction. But I'd say my preferred way to play transactions or spinoff transactions is I love it when a big company, a big market cap company spins off a small market cap company because there's just, it leads to indiscriminate selling pressure. And I can get into the reason why that takes place. But just to give you a little example, so a company called uh, VF Corp, they have a bunch of fast growing brands like North Face and Vans and some other you know highly profitable apparel brands that are pretty well regarded. They spun off, this was I think in 2019, they spun off their denim brands, their Wrangler denim brand into a company called Contour Brands. And nobody was that excited about Wrangler brands or Wrangler jeans. And also the spinoff of Contour Brands was going to be a small market cap. So the market cap, I think, was about one or two billion dollars. And at the time, the parent company, VF Corp, had a market cap of $30 billion. And so a lot of the people that had chosen to buy VF Corp wanted to invest in large cap stocks. They had no business or no mandate to invest in small cap stocks. So when they get a small cap spinoff, the easiest thing for them to do is to just sell that stock, regardless of what the price is, because they're not paid to manage small cap stocks. They're not interested in small cap stocks. So those are the situations that I like the best, where they're selling pressure that is just completely indiscriminate. And if you analyze the business ahead of time, like I spent a lot of time on Contour Brands, I thought it was a pretty interesting business. They're going to pay a nice dividend. You can take advantage of that indiscriminate selling pressure and buy from people who are less informed than you are. So that's my favorite way to play spinoffs, where you're buying a company that's being indiscriminately sold that you think is worth a lot more than the market is valuing. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. That's awesome. So two questions. Number one, if you're an investor in VF Corp and when they spun off Contour Brands, how would I benefit from that if I continued holding VF Corp? What does that do for me? 
Yeah, great question. So you on the day before the spinoff, you would own 100 shares of VF Corp. And then the next day after the spinoff, you would own 100 shares of VF Corp. And you would also own 100 shares of Contour Brands. So you would basically be shareholders. Your ownership percentage wouldn't change, but you would just own two different companies, which should be valued at higher valuations over time once the spinoff has been given some time to establish itself and establish a track record. Okay, that answers that first question. So the second question then is, if I own the shares of VF Corp and then they spin off Contour Brands, do most investors stay with Contour Brands or do they go, hey, I'm talking more about individual investors as opposed mm-hmm. to you know big funds that have, like you said, mandates. So as an individual investor, is it my best interest to stay with Contour Brands or is it my best interest to sell those shares and I guess take advantage of you know a price dislocation and stay with VF Corp? Or does it really kind of come down to What is more important to you, the fundamentals of that company versus the fundamentals of Contour brand? Yeah, so great question. So historically, spinoffs have outperformed. So that's why it's an interesting niche that I focus on because historically, if you just bought all the spinoffs going back till, you know, 1990 or whatever, you would have done quite well. You would have outperformed the market. So on average, the spinoffs will do really well and be better off to keep the holdings of Contour Brands in this case, but it really is a case-by-case situation. And usually you're going to, there's going to be indiscriminate selling pressure. So if you wanted to, you could probably sell and then buy back at a lower price. If you really wanted to get fancy about it, there's a lot of spinoffs. I'd say on average, they outperform, but they definitely don't all outperform. And there's many that go bankrupt. Sometimes parent companies they say, hey, I want to get rid of a lot of debt. I'm going to just put it on the spinoff. And you know, people like spinoffs, quote unquote, outperform. And so you got to be careful. Unless I'm buying a company like IAC ahead of the spinoff, where I think the parts are going to be valued pretty immediately above where the stock or the parent company is trading pre-spinoff. What I usually look for is I look for about 40% or 60% of shares outstanding to have traded because that shows me that a lot of people, the market cap, almost the entire market cap of the company, about 50% of the market cap of the company, the shares have traded. And that means the index funds have sold out, you know, the index funds that track the S&P 500 that don't want to own Contra Brands because Contra Brands is not in the S&P 500. They've sold out. All the big funds that are focused on large cap stocks have sold out. And that gives me, that's usually, if you want to buy a spinoff, that's usually what you want to look for. And then in terms of figuring out how to find how many shares have traded. So I just use Yahoo Finance. They have data there that just shows how many shares have traded per day. And so I usually wait, I can just, you know, add them up and I wait till, you know, at least 40% of shares have traded before I dip my toe into uh, buying the spinoff. So 40% of shares after the spinoff has happened, the spinoff company. Exactly right. Yeah. So if there's 100 million shares outstanding of the spinoff company, you want to wait till roughly you know 40 million of those have traded. It usually takes at least a couple weeks, you know, at least a week, usually two weeks, sometimes even longer than that for those shares to trade. The tricky thing is sometimes it's hard to figure out how many shares outstanding a spinoff has. Because sometimes it's not, hey, you own one share of VF Corp, you're going to get one share of Contour Brands. Sometimes it's, you're going to get one share of Contour Brands for every five shares of VF Corp that you own. So sometimes it can be a little tricky. 
But yeah, you want to figure out how many shares are outstanding and then just add up how many shares have traded. And you can do that on Yahoo Finance or probably Google Finance or, or some other similar service. A stupid question that kind of pops into my head when I think about this is when they announce that they're going to spin off a company, do they have to go through the same process that they would if they were going to IPO a company? In other words, do they have to release financials on that segment so that the market can look and figure out how well they think this company is going to do? And I'll I'll throw out an example and tell a company that I own that has been bloodied quite badly in the market recently is been talking about spinning off Mobileye, which is one of their divisions. And I think a lot of shareholders that own Intel are probably like, please (laughs) give us some value somewhere, please. (laughs) Me being one of them. And so I know that Mobileye, the IPO, the the spinoff is coming, but I guess I haven't dived into it enough to know, are they going to show me these are the financials for Mobileye and, or any other company. Is that, is that, how does that process work? It's an awesome question. And I would say it's very similar to the IPO process. So when a company is going to IPO, it has to file an S1, which shows the historical financials, historical profitability, the strategy of the business, everything that you would want to know. So for a spinoff, they file the same type document. It's called a Form 10 Information Statement. And it shows the pro forma financials for the spinoff company, assuming that the spinoff company had been independent. And sometimes they have to estimate costs, for instance, their cost of being a public company. So sometimes they always add costs associated with being a public company, or perhaps their disk synergies, you have to hire another HR department or whatever else in terms of uh, being a public company. But you will be able to get all that information from the Form 10 statement. Now, the one caveat, and this is the big thing why spinoffs are usually pretty interesting, is that with an S1 or with an IPO, there's a lot of hubbub. Everybody gets excited. Investment bankers actually get paid to sell those shares to their client. So people who buy shares in IPO are usually sold those shares. In a spinoff transaction, you didn't choose to buy the <laughs> shares of the spinoff. You're going to get it whether or not you want it or not. And so there's usually artificial buying pressure on IPOs, and there's usually artificial selling pressure on spinoffs. Of course, every individual example has to be examined on its own merits, but that's the general pressure. That's And that's the, the big difference, I would say, between IPOs and spinoffs. The other interesting thing is that a lot of times you'll read in the press, Intel is going to spin off Mobileye. Well, they're not. As I understand it, they're not going to spin off Mobileye. As I understand it, they're going to IPO Mobileye. So you're not going to get any shares of Mobileye unless they actually spin out Mobileye over time. And in terms of unlocking a conglomerate discount, it usually, if you IPO a division, it usually doesn't do much to close the conglomerate discount because the shareholders aren't getting any value. You know, Intel could use the proceeds from Mobileye to pay down debt or add cash to their balance sheet or maybe make other acquisitions, but you're not going to get those shares. Now, what I think would be interesting is if Intel maybe IPO 20% of Mobileye and then said, hey, we're going to spin off 80%, the remaining 80% of the business. And then you have Intel, which is you know trading at five times earnings, spinning off Mobileye, which should trade at a much higher multiple. And I think that's where it gets interesting. But that's another thing to be aware of. The media usually throws around, you know, anytime a big company is going to 
IPO, a division, they refer to it as a spinoff. Sometimes it is a spinoff, but sometimes it's not. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. So I guess, can we, I guess, double click on that a little bit? What is the, yeah. what would be the difference then? How do you IPO of a division that already works for your, you know, that's already owned by your business? I guess I don't, that doesn't compute. Yeah. So Intel bought Mobileye. I forget when they bought it, maybe three years mm-hmm. ago. And I don't know what they paid, but they paid, you know, billions of dollars for that. And so they own that division, right? Great. Now they could, as you a shareholder of Intel, you know, you own a hundred shares of Intel, management could say, Hey, we don't think our company's getting fairly valued. You know, we have this high growth division of Mobileye that's doing really well. We don't think we're getting fairly valued by the market. So we are going to spin out Mobileye. So we are going to, if you own 100 shares of Intel today, tomorrow you're going to own 100 shares of Intel and 100 shares of Mobileye. And Intel at that point wouldn't own any shares of Mobileye. They would be completely independent businesses, but you would own the same proportional stake in in either one. So that's a pure spinoff. An IPO is when Intel says, hey, I have Mobileye. It's, you know, our whole company is valued at, I don't know Intel's valuation is 40 billion, 50 billion. We think Mobileye is worth, I'm doing a, I'm just exaggerating this just for the sake of argument. We think Mobileye by itself is worth 50 billion. So I'm going to IPO, I'm going to sell 50% of Mobileye and other individual investors. And then I, Intel, I'm going to get that cash. So after the IPO, I'm going to own Intel. The company's going to own 50% of Mobileye, but they're also going to own a bunch of cash. And you as the individual investor are just going to continue to own Intel. And if Intel does something smart with that cash, that's great. That could increase shareholder value, but it's not necessarily guaranteed that it'll play out. Does that make sense? Uh, that totally makes sense. It probably explains why I guess I've been a little confused about it because I have seen both statements. Like you were saying, I've seen things from the media saying spinoff, but then I've also seen more specific data on the company website about IPO. And so I was confused. So that helps. Totally confusing. It's I think that's one thing whenever I see like monitor Google alerts, that's one of the tools that I use to keep my track of spinoff news. And a lot of times there'll be articles, hey, this division is going to spin off this division. And then I dig into it and 
it's not actually a spinoff. It's just an IPO. Now, sometimes it's interesting. Like sometimes like Intel will IPO a portion of the business to get some cash in the door and then they'll spin out the remaining portion. So if that were to happen, that would get me a lot more excited about the Intel situation. Right. Okay. That makes sense. So is it the presence of that SEC document that tells you this is a spinoff? Exactly right. Yeah. So if so, yeah. So anytime there's going to be a spinoff, there will be a document It's a little confusing because sometimes I've seen spinoffs be labeled S1 documents, even though they're just, they're not IPOs, they're just uh, distributions. But basically what you want, so in terms of deciding whether or not it's actually a spinoff or an IPO, if you just go, don't rely on the press, you know, go to the company's website and say, hey, what's what's the plan? They'll have a a press release that says, hey, we're going to spin off this division or we're going to monetize or IPO this division. And so I think the best thing to do is to just go to the company's website or maybe reach out to their investor relations department and say, hey, is this an IPO or am I as a shareholder actually going to receive these shares in this new division? Makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the risks, pitfalls that you see people do when, you know, what should bring a red flag to tell somebody, hey, either stay away from the spinoff or be careful with what you're looking at, what you're doing. Yeah. Pump the brakes. So I think the first thing that can be tricky is that, you know, I wasn't the only one that read Joel Greenblatt's you can be a stock market genius. A lot of other people read it and had the same reaction said, Hey, this is great. Spinoffs always outperform. I'm just going to buy spinoffs. And I think you can do that and you can be totally, you can probably be fine doing that. I think an aggregate spinoffs will in general continue to outperform but there's more people looking at spinoffs. It's gotten more competitive. And so the first thing that I would say to somebody who's looking to invest in a spinoff or value to spinoff is try to get rid of your bias that this is a stock that's probably going to outperform because it's a spinoff. I've gotten sucked into that too, where it's like, oh, it's a spinoff. You know, Greenblatt says these things outperform. I should buy this thing. You get, you get a little biased. What you want to do is you just want to evaluate the merits of the business just like you would do any other stock. And if you think this is a company that you want to own, then that's interesting. And if you think the valuation is attractive, that's even more interesting. And then the cherry on top is the indiscriminate selling pressure. So with contour brands, you know, jeans, denim isn't the sexiest business. It's not a, a growth business necessarily, but people have been wearing, you know, jeans for hundreds of years. I think they're going to be wearing jeans for hundreds of years going forward, the styles may change, but I think people are probably going to be wearing jeans. I had confidence in the durability of the business. I had confidence in the cash flow generative ability of the business. And then I looked at other apparel companies and I could see what typical apparel companies trade at. And then by reading the Form 10 statement ahead of the spinoff, you could read into the fact that Contra Brands was, was planning to pay a pretty juicy dividend. And so we saw indiscriminate selling pressure and I was able to buy at an implied yield of like eight or 9% dividend yield, which was like double or triple any other yields for apparel stocks. So it wasn't just because it was a spinoff, it was because I thought the business was good. I thought the valuation was attractive. And then the cherry on top was the indiscriminate selling pressure. Now, other red flags that I typically look at, I'd say wait on some of the parts stories as long as possible. I gave you the example of IEC and how you could buy IEC literally the day before the match spinoff and be buying the Remain Co, the IEC Remain Co at an implied negative market valuation. So 
in general, I would say wait as long as possible to get involved with these spinoff stories. And then some other things that are kind of obvious, it's not any different than whether you're valuing a normal company, but generally you want a company that's growing. Generally, you want a company that's stable and has improving margins. Generally, you want a company that's not in secular decline. A lot of spinoffs are in businesses that aren't doing very well. And especially if that company is very highly levered, that can be a very bad setup. Joel Greenblatt in his book, he said one of his rules was like buy the toxic waste. So buy the stuff that looks horrible that nobody else is going to want to touch with the 10 foot pole. And my experience is that a lot of the toxic waste is actually toxic waste. And so you have to do your research. And if it looks just incredibly compelling, like then you can get involved. But just because it looks horrible, that is not a reason to get involved. It's maybe a reason to dive deeper. I'll give an example. Like Anglo-American is a British mining company. They spun off a coal company, South African coal company called Fungella Resources. That looked like toxic waste. Nobody wants to buy coal companies. If you have any interest in ESG or saving the world, you're not going to be interested in owning an, an ESG or a, a coal company. But if you looked at the underlying financials, the company, when it was spun out, had no debt. It had a ton of cash on its balance sheet and the coal prices were going to the moon. And it looked like the business was trading at about one and a half to two times free cash flow. And they said, we're going to be paying out basically 50% of our free cash flow as a dividend. And so all those factors led me to, to buy that stock and to want to buy that company, even though it looked like toxic waste. If you dug on, you said, actually, this looks like pretty interesting. Downside's mitigated because they have cash on their balance sheet. Coal prices are going crazy and they're going to pay out a big dividend. And so that was a situation where toxic waste actually turned out to be very profitable. But I'd say more often than not, the companies that have high debt loads, high interest rates, declining revenue, declining margins, those are names to stay away from. So I apologize if you mentioned this already, but for this coal company example, did you buy before the spinoff or after the spinoff? So I bought this one after the spinoff. So it was an example of a big company. I don't, I forget what Anglo-Americans market cap was at the time, but it was something like $50 billion. And then this coal company, the South African coal company, their initial market cap was like a billion dollars. I think it was even less than that. So it was just a drop in the bucket for Anglo-American shareholders. And so there's really no interest in shareholders. If you own Anglo-American, you probably aren't that interested in owning coal because it's bad for the environment and it's very cyclical. And historically, coal had been pretty depressed. I bought that one after the spinoff had actually actually come out and I had a chance to read the equivalent of the Form 10, read their presentation and listen to management and kind of double check you know, the facts and, and confirm that it looked like a pretty interesting situation. So if you had to put a, a number on it, just very general, like, are we talking 50, 50, 75, 25, 90, 10 of you're buying before because you like the sum of the parts or you're buying after because of the indiscriminate selling, what percentage have you done and what do you think is, you know, to what percentage, I guess, should people kind of think of it that way as good opportunities? So I'm not definitely 90, 10 buying after the spinoff. So I buy 
after the spinoff has actually taken place. And that's kind of what I would recommend. I guess one caveat or when you can buy before the spinoff is say you have sometimes it, there's usually a good company and a bad company. And the Anglo American example, Anglo American was the good company. Fungella Resources, the coal company was the bad company. In that situation, it, it always pays to wait till after the spinoff. But say a company is breaking up and there isn't going to be a good company and a bad company. GE could actually be an example of this. Healthcare is probably a good business. The aviation business is probably a good business in recovery. And the power business is probably a good business too. So a company like GE, I haven't done the work enough to really have conviction in this one. But an example of that one, that's one where you could buy ahead of the breakup because there's going to be no bad company, quote unquote, that's probably going to sell off. And so, yeah, just to summarize, if there is a bad company that's going to be much smaller than the parent, probably makes sense to wait. But if you have a, if there's going to be two divisions that are equally good or three divisions that are equally good and equally interesting, then you could probably be safe buying ahead of the breakup especially if there's been like a big drawdown in the market like there has been recently. That makes sense. I'm going to throw one more at you, <laughs> kind of specific. So if you have a company where it's in your portfolio, people have, like there's speculation that there's going to be a spinoff, management's indicating that they'll probably do a spinoff. Obviously, you don't want to do anything until you really see what the details are. I guess if you were, let's say you see the details and you're like, oh, one of these spinoffs is a bad, is one of those like bad company situations. Mm -hmm. You know, do you sell the whole company and then wait for the spinoff to happen? And then, you know, you buy whatever is left afterwards, or do you just wait until it all settles and then kind of hope it recovers and then sell the spinoff then? How would you approach something like that? So I think what the way that I would do that would usually if a spinoff is going to be announced, usually the market will react well to it. One strategy could be, hey, when they announce a spinoff, you could sell it on the pop and it's probably going to come back down and then you, you could buy back. You also could wait till the spinoff happens and then just immediately sell shares. Another thing that's interesting is oftentimes, I mean, it it's not that helpful, but it the situations are different and it kind of depends on the situation. But a lot of times the parent company will load up the spinoff with debt. And so it's actually beneficial for the parent company to get all that cash on its balance sheet, spin off the spinoff or spin off their subsidiary with a bunch of debt. And even if there's very little equity value, you can just sell that once the spinoff transaction takes place. Other times there's situations where a division, a money losing division will be spun off. And so by spinning off a money losing division, interestingly, the Remainco looks cheaper. Like earnings actually go up for the remaining <laughs> company, despite the fact that they're losing division. And so if there's a bad co spinoff, I think my preferred way to do that would be to just sell once the spinoff actually actually takes place. So wait till the spinoff transaction takes place and just sell it. I think that's a great answer. I appreciate that. Yeah. So let's say there's uh, investors out there, they're super interested in this or just getting started. You have a great newsletter, which I'm subscribed to, that sends out these announcements and there's like investment ideas in there all the time. So how can people get on your newsletter and learn more about spinoffs in general? Yes. Yeah. So, so thank you for subscribing. I didn't know that. So I appreciate that. So yeah, just go to, go to my website, stockspinoffinvesting.com. 
or you could just search, you know, stock spinoff investing. You could just Google it and it should pop right up. And I have, I think the best resource is I have a spinoff calendar. And so you can see the spinoffs that have already taken place and how they're performing and any notes that I've written on them. And then I also have an upcoming spinoff calendar, which shares any upcoming spinoffs that are announced. If a first day trading ha- date has been established, you can see the date and any, again, any notes that I've written on it. And then I send out emails, you know, free emails every once in a while. And then if you want to figure out, you know, the names that I'm recommending that I, I send out a lot of free stuff, but I also have a premium newsletter where I share the ideas I'm recommending and that I'm buying myself. So that's also an option as well. But yeah, stockspinoffinvesting.com is the website. And then I'm also on Twitter as well. Also publish some stuff on Twitter. I don't know if you guys like Twitter, but I'm a fan of Twitter. I get a lot of value out of it. So follow, go ahead and follow Twitter as well. Yeah, I'm a big fan. I will be following you after we discuss today, (laughs) for sure. Well, Rich, thank you very much for taking the time to come talk to us today. This was awesome. I don't know about everybody else, but I learned so much. It was awesome. My head is just like spinning with all the great ideas you shared with us today. So we really appreciate that. Please definitely check out his website. I was doing that yesterday and it is fantastic. It's a great resource. There's lots of tons tons and tons of great stuff there to help you learn more about stock spinoff investing. So I guess without any further ado, go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week and we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.